Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. You know, you take a couple months off and everything changes around here. I, didn't, I thought I was in the wrong church for a while this morning when I came. Um, took a couple months off for a little surgery and a little bout with an RSV. And uh, here I am. Uh, for those of you who are newer, my name is Tom Paquette, and I'm the senior pastor of this church. For those of you who have, over the past couple of months, fallen in love with Christian and his preaching, I have some really bad news for you. I'm the regular guy, all right? You'll get him back in a couple of weeks because I'll be on a retreat, a vision and prayer retreat with the elders, which is always a good thing, right? Always good for the church. It's a tough job, but somebody has to do it, okay? So we're praying that my voice makes it through uh, these, this morning, two services this morning. Would you just pray that for me right now from where you're sitting? Would you just ask the Lord on my behalf? Appreciate you so much, Lord. Thank you. I thank you for these dear people, Lord, and for this wonderful place called the Vineyard, place of your word, the Bible, place of your Holy Spirit, place this wonderful mixture of the two comes into this house by your glory, and we welcome you, Holy Spirit, and Lord, I do ask for voice this morning just to declare the things that I think you've placed on my heart. But um, nobody came to hear me anyway, Lord. They came to hear you. And so, Lord, we just pray that you'd come and cause that to happen no matter what now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, happy 2020. I was hoping to say that to you last week. Happy 2020. Isn't that amazing? I mean, every new year brings this sort of opportunity for us to press the reset button, right? And go, okay, well, this year, by golly. And that's where we are again in a new year, new possibilities. And, and not only for us individually, but as a church, I, I can only imagine how many sermons entitled 2020 Vision were preached last Sunday throughout America, right? It's such a, such a good shot there. And uh, the new year is about looking ahead, isn't it? Well, I have some really good news for you. If you want to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, turn your Bibles, if you have one, to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading for you this morning verses 12 through 16. Um, If you pull it up on your device, however it is you roll there. If you're a person here today and you do not own a Bible, we would love to fix that for you. Christian, would you raise your hand there? See that guy over there? If you come up to him... Any time and say, I need a Bible, he'll give you a free Bible today, okay? We'd love to do that for you. Here we go in Philippians chapter 3. Now, the context of this passage is that it was written by the Apostle Paul. And if you're new to the Bible, he was a really big deal in the New Testament. And God really changed his life and used him in amazing ways. And he wrote a great portion of the New Testament by God's Holy Spirit. And so it was written by him while he was in prison. Ask me, what was he in prison for? Was it drugs? Was it, what was it? No, he was in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Much to the consternation of society at the time. Go figure. Hmm. So he was in prison for that. And he was writing to this Philippians church. It's, it's called Philippians because it's in the city of Philippi. And so the believers there, the Christians there, were the Philippian church. 
And, and so he was writing to them. He had a great affection for them. He really, he was thanking them for a gift that, he, that was sent to them by him so that he could actually support himself in prison. Kind of a long story, but it was part of the deal. So he could have food while he was in prison. And so he was thanking them for that, and he was also just sharing his affection. He said, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love that passage. And the reason I love this relationship, I think, between Paul and the Philippian church so much is because I relate to it. I mean, you guys, you guys are the object of my spiritual heart. You know that, right? I mean, Jesus is, of course, but in terms of people, I just, I just long for you. I've missed you the last couple months. I know you haven't given a whit of thought to me as I've been gone, and, and, but I, I have just missed you guys. And, and it's just lovely to be back. There's just a wholeness when I'm here, here among you. So th- I can totally relate to the context of what Paul is writing here in Philippians chapter 3. And he's just talking about moving ahead and someday being like Christ and the power of his resurrection and all that. And then he, he admits something. He says, not that I've already obtained all this in verse 12. He said, I'm not there yet. He says, you know, it's a great thing to walk with the Lord, isn't it? And he said, and great things are happening. But he said, we're not done. He said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. So Paul, the big deal guy in the New Testament, said he's not perfect. Can anybody relate? (laughs) Right? Man, aren't you just still waiting to have your first perfect day? He says, not that I've been made. But he says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You know what, Angela? The Lord Jesus got hold of you for something. And it's been wonderful with both of you guys just to have a front row seat to your sanctification and just seeing God work in you. I mean, you were in great shape when you came, Angela, but John, you know, I mean, it's just been, you've come such a long way, brother. And uh, thanks for being patient with him. But Jesus Christ took hold of us for something. He grabbed, he has a plan. This isn't just our get out of hell free card, is it? He says, I want to press on, take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Verse 13, brothers, he says it again, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I'm not there yet, but one thing I do. Don't you love it when somebody like Paul says, here's one thing I always do. Don't you want to know what's next? One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. One thing I do. I leave the past in the past, and I keep moving forward. Verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, I love love his confidence here. If you disagree with me, catch this. That too God will make clear to you. If you disagree with me, you're wrong. You have every right to be wrong, but you know, God, God will make that clear to you eventually. And then I love this, verse 16, only let us live up to what we've already attained. You know, let's not go backwards right? Let's not have this kind of a relationship with God. You know, maybe it'll be like this, and, and then like this, and like this, but let us live up to what we've already attained. I love this passage. It talks about pressing forward. There's always more. There's always more. How many of you feel like you're a lot farther along in your walk with the Lord than you once were? Me too. How many of you feel like you have a really long way to go still? <laughs> Me too. There's, we're never there till we're there, right? <laughs> so he says, I press on. Now, pressing forward means that press, 
But what about forgetting what is behind? Well, forgetting what is behind in the context of what Paul is saying here is he meant he's leaving behind his old, empty religious learnings and his human accomplishments. He lists his accomplishments. He says, man, I was a big deal in Judaism. I was a big deal. And he said, I count it all rubbish. I just count it all rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus. So he says, that I leave behind. This does not mean that we don't learn from our past mistakes, right? Leaving it behind. We do, of course we do. And then we make corrections along the way. But what we leave behind is any sense of self-righteousness or anything that we feel like, well, look at me. I, I, God must be very lucky to have me now. You know, and that's kind of an insidious kind of thing that can kind of creep in sometimes. All of this moving ahead is directly in line with what I believe I've been hearing from the Lord for, the, for our church lately. You know, as senior pastor, I'm always praying, God, where are we going? Where are we going? I, I, don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to drive. You know that thing that says God is my co-pilot? Forget about it, right? God's my pilot, right? I don't, I don't even want to get near the controls, right? And so I just say, I just say, <coughs> excuse me, I say, Lord, where are we going as a church? I'm always praying that prayer. I think that's the job of a senior pastor. Now, it doesn't mean the senior pastor has the last word on it. Don't ever follow a man. You know, that, when, when a senior pastor says, I believe this is where the Lord is leading us, that needs to be tested by elders, by leaders, by others, you know, so that, so that there can be agreement. So in no way am I saying that it's my job to be some kind of a dictator at all. But I think it's my job to initiate that prayer. Lord, where are we going? Where are we going? And I've been praying that as I always do. And I recently got this word. And the word is surge. Would you like to say that? Surge. surge. Feels kind of powerful to say it. A surge is exactly what it means. It's like a push, isn't it? It's a surge. It's a power. Electricity can surge. We put surge project protectors on our, on our laptops and stuff like that because we don't want too much electricity to come in and poof, right? And so we, we, we don't want a surge there. You know what? I pray, I pray that we haven't put a surge protector on this church. You know what I mean? I pray that we haven't put systems and things in order and our expectations in such a way that the Holy Spirit isn't welcome to just come here and say, we're not doing that now, boom, Right? And just let him do what he wants to do. Is anybody with me? Come on. I want to be a church where, of course, we think and we pray and we plan and we prepare. But it, and we hold it all with a loose hand, not with a, with a tight hand like a surge protector, but say, oh, Lord, just come and blow the whole thing away if we're not completely in line with everything that you want to do. A surge. A surge is kind of like a full-court press, isn't it? You know, like in basketball, it's a defensive move, but I think we need to play some defense right now, actually, where, where you know, you don't get in your half of the court and wait for them to come. Man, you hit them right at the inbound, right? And you just, you just get in their face, and that's what a surge is. Surge is like, let's go, right? It's time to go. A surge is like, we practiced long enough. Let's go. A surge is like, we've trained long enough. Let's go to war. That's what a surge is. It's like, it's time. It's time. And that's what I'm sensing from the Lord. And so I've had a lot of, over the last three months, I've been talking and praying about this, four months, with elders, with staff, with, with the leaders of the church. We've had leaders meeting, we talked about it. 
And we've, we've, we've had some lively conversations and prayer times about it. So this thing is something that isn't just something sort of hatched up on my way to church this morning. This is really something that's been going on, and it's time to roll out. I know when we were interviewing Pastor Chase back in September, you know, and I said, well, you know, as we're talking about the possibility of his joining our staff, he was like, I said, well, here's what I, here's what I feel like God's calling me to lead for the next three years. And I told him about this surge. And then he, I had just a very memorable moment in the interview process where he looked at me and he said, let's do it. Right? Let's do it. And I thought, how presumptuous of you. I haven't even offered you the job yet, man. <laughs> he said, let's do it. But you can just see that in him, can't you? It's like, yeah, let's do it. And so that's, that's what the surge is. It it's, has a direct impact on you. And so now it's time for me to spend a few weeks in, in Christian as well, just sharing what the surge is and how we're going to do this and what we believe God's calling us to do, this pressing on thing like Paul. It's a surge. It's a thing that's already begun. We planned it. We prayed for it. But now we're kind of rolling it out. We're launching the surge. It a, has a duration of three years from the beginning. So we're, we're already half, half a year through that. So it's from now until the end of the summer 2022. We're going to be surging, I believe. In fact, would you please get out your devices and mark your calendars for the weekend of September 4th, 2022? Because I'm anticipating an enormous weekend of crazy celebration for what God has done in the surge, all right? We're going to have the tent up. It's probably going to cost us a couple of hog roasts. Who knows what's going to happen? But I'm just saying, this is something that I believe God is calling us into. Okay, so what is the surge? Right, go ahead and ask me, I dare you. A very purposeful and intense time of forward ministry dedicated to the accomplishment of two objectives. Two objectives in the surge. First objective is to revive and reclaim our position in the community as the church for people who didn't think they'd like church. You've heard that phrase. Many of you have been around. You've heard that phrase before. And maybe it's time to update that phrase. That's a possibility. But that phrase, to be a church for people who didn't think they'd like church, occurred to me as I was praying 30 years ago. I was in my house in Westerville. We lived up there. And I was praying, God, what, what, I, want to, what, I feel like I'm called to plant another church. What, what kind of church should this be? And it was like a church for people who didn't think they'd like church. A church for people who, when they came, they kind of came against their will. They were drug, kind of kicking and screaming like, no, I don't want to go to church. And they got here and go, oh, well, if this counts as church, I could do that. Right? And so 26 years ago, we launched this church, and by God's grace, you know, and we were cutting edge at the time. I mean, all this that you see up, up here now was cutting-edge kind of ministry. I mean, we were like, that's the scandal of the church and the community because of the way we did stuff. I mean, we had this crazy music, and we didn't dress up, and blah, blah, blah. We were pretty much irreligious, but we loved God. And over time, there's something that happens. I've been rereading a book, a great book called The Quest for the Radical Middle, which is a great history of the vineyard as a movement. 
And in the beginning, Bill Jackson just talks about something called routinization. And that is that something starts out like a really big hot fire of God. And you keep doing it and doing it. We've talked about this not that long ago. It becomes routine, right? Well, we've been doing this, some version of this, for 26 years. And not only perhaps has it become routine in some respects, but have you noticed a lot of the contemporary church has adapted, adopted this kind of a style? So it's not scandalous anymore. Nobody's talking about us behind our backs anymore. Come on, can you live with that? Come on. I don't want to be a regular church, do you? There are a thousand wonderful churches in Franklin County. Did you know that? Over a thousand? And I thank God for the churches that are in this community. But we don't need another regular church, right? Oh, yeah. Is this making anybody nervous? I hope so. I really, really hope so. I want to restore the vitality of that phrase. I want to be a church for people who didn't think like, like church. You know, I once, once heard one of the best compliments about our church I've ever heard, and it was from Bill Christensen. He's a terrific guy. He's an executive pastor up at the Columbus Vineyard, big church, of course, as many of you know. And uh, Bill's the executive pastor, and it's really sweet. We've had him down here to speak a couple times over the years. Great guy. And he, uh, I was talking with him casually one day, and he says, he says, you know what I like about the Grove City Vineyard? He says, whenever I meet somebody from there, the mess, this message comes across to me one way or another, and that is that they say that they, that they never really know quite what's going to happen when they go to church, right? That they're never really sure what's going to happen. And I would say that used to be true of us, more so than it is now. Now, this isn't broken. I'm not saying that. I just think we're being called by God to get a little less predictable, a little more surprising. How many of you like Cracker Jacks? Anybody? How many of you like the prize? I got to tell you, young people, the prize today is nothing like it used to be, okay? Those little temporary tattoos in there. Oh, my gosh, we used to get whistles and clickers and all kinds of things in there, right? And you'd be eating through there, and you know what that tastes like, but then there's a prize, right? Well, I'm saying church, of course, is, has a, a rhythm to it. And, and you, you fall into that rhythm. But where's the surprise, right? Where's the surprising move of God? That's, what I, that's one of the, man, uh, the, the objectives. I want to restore and revive that. Ask me this. Okay, Tom, what do you need from me? I want you to want this with me. Would you just want this with me, please? And say, Lord, that would just be so great. I mean, I love what God's doing here. I am not dissatisfied. I'm just hearing this from God saying, Serge, would you want this with me? And second, would you pray about this with me? I mean, that's the key to it, isn't it? We can't, like, you know, reshuffle the cards and say, well, here, we're surprising, you know. Let's sing last and preach first, you know. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying, God, would you come and be surprising <laughs> among us? Yeah. And would you just kind of stay loose? Just stay loose for a while, you know? So if things are moving around, that's not the way it was for 20 years. You know, just chill, all right? Chill. If things are a little loud or too soft, just chill a little bit, all right? All right? And just let this happen by God's design. 
You know, in terms of praying, I hope you'll pray at home. I hope you'll pray on your own. I hope you'll come to prayer meetings. One of my goals in the surge is to restore weekly prayer meeting attendance to at least 100 people. So much power in prayer. Everything in the history of this church that's ever happened that's been truly eternal and powerful, you can just draw a line straight back to some moment of prayer. Whether it's here or in India or in in Honduras or Nicaragua, Brazil, wherever we are, here in the city, there's always this line that goes back to prayer. And you know, we have these prayer meetings every week. We have two on Sunday mornings. They meet about 15 minutes before each service. Just come early. Just plop in there. No experience necessary. Just come on in. We just pray. 15 minutes early. A Tuesday night prayer meeting led by Pastor Christian. It was thundering on Tuesday night, wasn't it? Oh my gosh, Holy Spirit was just so powerful. Tuesday nights. Thursday morning at 6.15 in the morning. I know, it's early, right? Trying to... And then every other week, Thursday nights, there's a group that actually leaves here and goes out and prays. Not just a Thursday, but two weeks from, uh, I mean, oh, the week after that, I'm going to be starting a Thursday afternoon prayer meeting at 1.30, okay? And maybe there's some retirees who go, I don't want to get up at 6.15, I don't want to be out till 9 o'clock. And so, okay, how about Thursday afternoon? Maybe some of you are second shifters, and you go, yeah, I work 3 to 11. None of this stuff ever works for me. Okay, 1.30 Thursday afternoons, not this Thursday, but next. Yeah? Come and pray. Come, what's going to happen if you come into that room? Is somebody going to say, well, we're glad you're here, John. Would you please lead us in prayer? No, it doesn't happen that way. You don't have to worry. You, you, func- you, you participate at your own level. Okay? It's very organic. It's just very pray while. If you feel like praying out loud, go ahead. If you don't, nobody's going to talk about you behind your back, right? If they do, tell me. The second objective is to develop and prepare the church for the essential inclusion of many younger leaders. We've been blessed with a very cool multi-generational church. I love this place. I love it. I just love the wide age range. I really do. And um, I did a demographic study, if you will, big word for who's here. And we are 45 to 55 at age 50. Here's what I mean by that. 45% of our grown-ups are between high school and 49 years old. 55% are 50 up to getting ready to go home and see Jesus, okay? So they're, and that's really a pretty good ratio, especially for somebody where the church planter is still here, because can you believe this? When Karen and I planted this church, we were 38. You can't even picture me 38, can you? Who's 38 in here? Is anybody 38? Hey, Joe, stand up. Would you mind? Stand up for us, Joe. You know you don't even remember me that young, do you? A lot of you guys. Thanks, Joe. All right? Did you have not, hair? Not at 38, I didn't. I'm afraid I didn't. So I kinda, I'm kind of really happy with this, with the way that all worked out, 45, 55. But the leadership, and by that I mean the the influential, authoritative leadership is really tilted toward my end of the spectrum. And we need to open that box up. We need to prayerfully open this up. Because um, I'm grateful for the leaders of my generation who are leading this church and you're paying for this church and all these things that we've done for so long. But at the same time, I'm sure everybody, I mean, I hope this isn't a surprise to you in any 
people in my generation, we're not going to live here forever, right? We got graduation coming up, right? We got, we got, we're not almost done. I don't mean that. But we need to be ready. And we need to help people be ready to continue the work of the Lord when we're with Jesus. So I want to become very, very intentional and wise about making room for younger adults to have decision-making and influential authority. It doesn't at all mean that those of us who are in my generation beyond are losing our jobs. Quite to the contrary, our roles are going to become critically more strategic and important than they've ever been. I've been super intentional about praying for and building a younger pastoral staff. I mean, I'm joined by these children, right? <laughs> Wonderful. We're so blessed. I've been in, in, in purposeful about that. So with respect to the second objective, ask me, well, what do you need from me, Tom? I want you to want this with me. Would you want this with me? And say, it's, it's true. I mean, Tom, you're seriously 38? I don't think I'd have listened to you when you were 38, right? You didn't, you didn't know crap from apple butter when you were 38, right? But some of you did. <laughs> Come on, want this with me. Oh, God, that you'd raise up younger generation leaders to come and influence and authority. Yeah. And would you pray, surprised? And the third thing I want you to do is I want you to embrace and enter into a Paul-Timothy paradigm of the New Testament. Let me take a couple minutes to explain what I mean by the Paul-Timothy template. When you read through the New Testament, you can't help but notice this relationship between Paul, who's older, and Timothy, who's younger. And we can learn so very, very much. They first met in Acts chapter 16. We'll be talking about this for the next few weeks. And the extended example of their life together creates a blueprint for the propagation of the church from one generation to the next. It's a blueprint. I mean, don't you love it that it's true that the Bible has all the answers? Here we are in this day and age with a shifting culture and shifting values, and yet the Bible provides the answer? I love that. And so this is Paul-Timothy relationship, and as we consider how we're ever gonna move forward toward the fulfillment of this second objective in the surge, we need to adopt in a very strategic and intentional way the Paul-Timothy dynamic in the fellowship. And by that I mean the development of deliberate personal relationships between older and the younger so that, so that the, for the purpose of, of mentoring the younger ones into roles of authority and influence in this fellowship. Does that make sense? The Paul-Timothy relationship in the Bible just creates a perfect picture of where we are in a perfect template. Now, if you study the scriptures, you're gonna see that, that the Paul-Timothy template has at least four distinct features. The one is that it's intentional. It wasn't accidental that Paul and Timothy, turn in your Bibles if you'd like to Acts chapter 16, that's also in your New Testament. We just wanna show you a couple things here as we move forward. Acts chapter 16, uh, he, verse 1, he meaning Paul, Paul came to Derb and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but his father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. 
Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who believed in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. All I want you to get from that for this week is just notice Paul could have chosen anybody in all of these travels, but he intentionally chose Timothy. He was presented to him, he was considered, and Paul said, yeah. In the Paul-Timothy template for us, beloved, as a church, listen, Paul's, my age, etc., my age zone, <laughs> there's, there's somebody out there for you. There's somebody on the other side of the aisle, if you will. There's somebody in the Timothy world for you. There really is. It's intentional. Second, it's relational. I love 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy, still in your New Testament. Keep moving back toward Revelation. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And here's how Paul opens that passage. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Don't you love that? My true son in the faith. <laughs> Paul just saw Timothy as his son. There was such a, a relationship of pure affection there. And that's part of the relationship I think God has for the Pauls and the Timothys in this church. It'll be tensional. It'll be very relational. You'll enjoy it. You'll love this person. It's spirit-led. Back in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, right after he chose Timothy. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the presence of Asia, in the province of Asia. So this is a spirit-led relationship. So you Pauls and Timothys, what we're creating here is a platform for you to come together intentionally to love each other and to be led by the Spirit. It's exciting. And then also, I'd like to say it was a productive relationship. We don't have a lot of biblical information about what happened to Timothy after Paul leaves the scene at the end of Acts. But we do have from some extra biblical and valuable information. It's not inspired. It's called the Acts of Timothy. It's an apocryphal book. Where it said that, Paul, that Timothy became the bishop of Ephesus. And he was very, he was very influential. And it was productive that, that the, he actually stepped up and became Paul, became the bishop of the church of Ephesus, which was an enormous church. And that he lived until he was 80 years old and he was killed by an angry mob at age 80 because he was standing in opposition to a procession to the goddess Diana. That's a powerful man. What a way to die, right? Come on, this is productive. And I believe God has that for you, Pauls and Timothys. That you have a deposit to give, and it'll be productive, and it'll carry on long after we're gone. These are the dominant features of a Paul-Timothy relationship. It creates a useful biblical model for us to follow. Okay, let's get this plane headed toward the runway. You ready? You are either a Paul or a Timothy. Okay? It's true we all have elements of each in us, but you're going to have to make a decision. You're the Paul or Timothy. A Paul is someone who's lived on the earth and likely walked with the Lord for a longer time than a Timothy. Both the Lord 
and life itself has taught us, Paul, some things that would be very beneficial to intentionally share with the people who are newer to this program, right? A Timothy is someone who has lived on the earth and likely walked with the Lord for a shorter time than their respective Paul. They, like the Pauls, who were once Timothys, we were all Timothys, are being prepared and anointed by God to assume the authoritative human part of the leadership of God's church. And in some respects, we're, we have both. It's not all about seniority, is it? I mean, we can look at some people who, you know, are in my age zone, and, and, and perhaps in some ways they're not as, as far along in their spiritual journey as some people who are over here in this age zone. But here's what I believe. I believe that, that the mileage on a car, the odometer tells you something about where it's been, what it's learned. So I believe that just by being in my zone, that while there may, be, there may be Timothys who are further along in the walk, that there is a Timothy over there who isn't for you. You got it? So don't start discounting yourself saying, well, I could never be a Paul. What, what? There's a Timothy over there that doesn't know crap from apple butter, and they're waiting for you to come along and show them the difference. Did I say that twice today? It's not even in my notes. Okay. I believe God wants to engage and bless every one of you. Now, the Paul-Timothy, for, for our purposes, the divide is at age 50. Okay? Seem arbitrary? It does seem a little bit. If you're in high school through age 49, you are a Timothy. Anybody need to check their license? If you are age 50 or more, <laughs> you're Paul. And again, you might look across and say, oh, look at that guy. Look at that guy. Look at that Josh lead worship man. I think he's taller in the Lord than I am. Okay, well, then he's not your Timothy. But there's a Timothy over there for you. Just work, just make it, I'm going to help you through these next few weeks to figure this out. Because it's what I believe God wants from us. Actually, our, our, our adult fellowship is comprised of four different generations, but I find, I find the labels on the generations to be very stereotypical and unhelpful. Because we have some wonderful millennials here who turns out aren't lazy. <laughs> we have some... We have some fantastic boomers here who turns out aren't stupid. Okay, boomer, right? I mean, come on. So I find, those, I find those labels to be unhelpful. But there's a definite place for every single one of you in the surge. You are either Paul or a Timothy, unless you're not yet a Christian. If you've come to Christ, then you're either Paul or Timothy based on this. You say, what? When I was rereading the Quest for the Radical Middle, it was so cool because they talked about a time, Calvary Chapel, which was the beginnings of what became the vineyard. When, when Chuck Smith was leading so many of these young hippies to Christ in Southern California, and they were trying to figure out what to do next. And they, they made this house called the House of Miracles. It was a two-bedroom house they rented in San Diego. And when somebody came to Christ, they baptized them, they sent them to live at the house. Well, the house became so crowded so quickly, it had 35 people living in it in a very short time. So here's what they said. They said, 
if you have known Jesus for more than a week, you have to leave the house and you have to go out and evangelize your generation. <laughs> a week! In other words, if you've known Jesus for a week, there's somebody out there who doesn't know him. Make sense? Say yes, I'll start again. Ask me this question. What do you want from me today, Tom? All I want from each of you today is to heartfully consider the possibility that what I'm saying is true. Just consider. I'm not asking you to sign up for anything. Would you just consider that this might be an important moment that Paul's and Timothy's, that that just open your heart to the possibility of it. Okay? Don't freak out. Just open. There's a great scripture that says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. I love this. One generation will commend your works to another. That's right there in the Bible. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. Okay. Do you love me? Yes. That was weak. I asked my granddaughter that yesterday. She's two, and she said no. (laughs) I know, I'm still not over it. Do you trust me? I'm going to ask you to do something weird, and I want to first of all apologize to any of you who are guests here today. And that's not so weird that you're going to freak, but this isn't what we normally do. But I prayed and prayed, and I believe that it'll be instructive for us. So what I would like to have, ask you to do right now is I would like for all of the Pauls to be on this side of the room. Hey, you picked the right side, John. And for all of the Timothys to be on this side of the room. Would you make that exchange now, please? Trust me, Timothys, Pauls. There we go. Once again, my heartfelt apology to those of you who are new. It's like this is the worst thing that could happen to you if you're checking out a church, right? I get that. I, I apologize. Oh, can we keep those lights up a little bit, please, this time? Thanks. I know that's what you were supposed to do. Thank you. Okay. Oh, you can sit. You can sit for now. Okay. You got it. Yeah, this side can sit. Okay. If you're in a mixed marriage and the line is in between you, just average it out, okay? There we go. Okay, listen, folks. Pauls. You have something of vital importance to give. God has put something in you. You, like me, have made a lot of mistakes along the way, and God has been gracious to you, yes? He's not the God of second chances, is he? We passed that a long, long time ago. And God has given us something of great importance. Regardless of how you feel about yourself and your spiritual maturity, you're somewhere... In, in God's perspective, his growth, his kingdom now, you're somewhere. 
God has put something important in your heart, your life. It's not just about what you know, it's, it's your perspective. It's the worldview that God has given you from all that you've seen. Most of us here can't really remember a time when we didn't have a television in our house. Some of you can, but most of us can't. Remember when cell phones came? Remember when email came? Most of the people over there don't. So we gotta figure this out because you have something to give to them. This is not just like organizational. This is the Spirit of God. It's how he does it, Paul's and Timothy's. And I just want you to open your heart this morning to the possibility that this is true. Don't sign up yet, but don't turn it down yet either, okay? Oh, you guys, you are so precious, you're so valuable, you're like a treasure. You are a treasure. You're a treasure not just to us and the ongoing propagation of this church here, that, that, that means nothing compared to the treasure that you are to a culture that needs you, to a world that needs you. We've done everything we can to try to figure out how to make that vital connection between the church and society, the church and culture. But it has changed so much in the time that you've been on the planet. It's a different world. And it's now your turn to take that on. And the world continues to change so quickly I can only imagine what it's going to be like when this situation is you're over here and there's another batch here. But today is the day that we have. Today is the day that we know. And God has put something inside of you. It's not a time to wait until you figure this out or get that going. It's a time to open up your heart to say, God, what would you want from me if I gave you everything? What would you want from me? What, what role would I step into in your kingdom if, if, if I just said, I'll do whatever you say, Lord? I know there's a lot of us boomers across the aisle over there. I get that. We don't know everything, but we know where some of the landmines are, and there's no reason for you to step on the same ones. Would you guys just kind of sit where you are, but just turn your heads and kind of look at each other for a sec. Just look across. Just kind of keep looking at each other. Lord, I pray now that you'd cause eyes to meet, perhaps. At least hearts to be stirred a bit at the possibility of what a Paul-Timothy relationship could mean. Paul's, we're the quarterbacks. We have the ball. They're the receivers. <laughs> They're over there saying, I'm open, right? Yeah, they're in the end zone. 
I'm just praying that, you know, like a quarterback, he's looking and doing his check down the whole thing. And I'm just praying that God will cause you to make connection with exactly the receiver that he means for you to connect with. Would you stand with me, church? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. Lord, this is a, such a wonderful prayer to pray that those of us that you have commissioned through season and wisdom and failure and success to be Paul's, what a wonderful thing it is that you've, you've invited us to be mentors in some respects to these who are lovely believers just waiting for, for this to happen, Lord. Thank you. Would you bless this process in our church, Lord? I, I definitely don't want it to become a program. I want it to become the vital function of your Holy Spirit, kingdom of God working here among us. God, I just pray for everybody here this morning and thank you for them. Open our hearts to the surge, to the season that you're calling us into, Lord. Open our hearts to it, Lord. We want to see you surge. We want to see you work. We want to see your name glorified. We want to see you renew your power among your people. Come, Holy Spirit. Could we have some prayer ministry people come up and make yourself available to pray for people? If you're here today and you'd like to receive prayer, if you'd like to ask Jesus into your heart as your Savior, these people, you just walk. We're going to sing a song as we go. And and you can just come up to them and they'll be here to pray with you. Also, just any, any issue at all in your life, if you'd like somebody to pray about that. Maybe you're sick and you want to ask God to heal you, just come on.